right. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Yeah, happy Spring Forward Sunday. Yeah. Anybody's heart beating a little faster this morning? That's what they say the biologists do when we lose an hour of sleep. But you know what? There's grace for whatever culture you live in, even cultures that tried to change the, the way time works, right? Yes, that is our culture. Praise you, Lord. Well, guys, uh, my name is Cole. I'm associate pastor here at the church, and uh, I get to preach every once in a while. And so I'm going to uh, uh, take us today on a little journey uh, by the help of the Holy Spirit through uh, Luke chapter 21. If you guys have been here for a while, you know that uh, we've been working our way slowly, strategically uh, through the entire gospel of Luke in our series, The Good News According to to Luke. And so today we find ourselves in Luke 21. It is just a two-point message because you have one hour less sleep. So you get one less point today. It's called mercy, grace in all its forms. But let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, this lack of sleep has humbled us. And when you humble us, it tests us and sees what's really in our heart. And so Lord, we ask that you in your good mercy found in Jesus Christ, in your grace, that you would do just as the scripture of Malachi said, that you would refine us today, that you would purify us today, that you would increase our hope, not in what we see or how we feel, but in what you have said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, so the good news according to Luke chapter 21, our focus for today, like I said, we're going to keep it pointed so you can take notes in your state, is... Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will remain. And what do we do with that? We're to believe in Christ and remain in his kingdom forever. Heaven and earth, so look up, look around, will pass away, but God's word will remain. So with that being said, let's, let's go to God's word. Um, I'm so thankful that... Uh, that the Lord knows our state of being easily influenced and fluctuations. And so he doesn't just throw us into things. He sets us up so that we can deal and be prepared if we're aware of how he set us up uh, with those things. And so we're going to look back at Luke 20, and we're going to look at a couple of things before we read Luke 21 that set us up for what Jesus is about to say to the disciples and the crowds. And so what we see in Luke 20 is just over and over Jesus revealing his authority. Everybody say authority. authority. Jesus is revealing it. And so here are some ways that he reveals it. Number one, Jesus as the maker of all things, this is looking back at Luke 20, uh, he reveals his compassion through weeping over Jerusalem and his authority to make things right by cleansing the, te- the, the temple so there could be authentic worship. So he takes authority in the temple. He weeps because he owns everything. These are his people. This is their brokenness. And as the owner, it affects him more than anybody else. So he weeps over it. We see his authority there. Number two, Jesus' authority is then questioned by the religious leaders. And so Jesus reveals his authority as the owner of Jerusalem, the temple, and their very lives through the parable of the tenants. Last week, Pastor Ron talked about the parable of the tenants. There's an owner, he, he wants some fruit, he sends people to collect it, they beat him, all the bad things they do to them, then he sends his son to obey him, nope, 
they kill him because they say the inheritance will be ours. So when he comes, he has vengeance on those that killed his son to show his authority over, over their lives. Then we see that Jesus reveals his authority over the world systems through telling them to pay the government what they owe the government. But since the government is not God, that they should also give God their lives, which belong to him. So his authority over their very lives. All right, next. Uh, Jesus reveals his authority as preeminent teacher through correcting the religious ruling party of the Sadducees regarding the resurrection. They were the ones in charge. The chief priest at that time was a Sadducee, and he corrects them, and he says, you're wrong. And so he's taking authority at the top, the top seat there. Then we see Jesus reveals his authority as the living word of God. He just doesn't bring the word. How many of you know that Jesus is the word made flesh? We don't worship an idea. We don't worship a mixture of letters that makes sense. We worship a living man who is God in the flesh. So Jesus reveals his authority as the living word of God by correcting the scribes or the lawyers, revealing in Psalm 110 the divinity of King David's messianic descendant. He also warns the people of the scribes who are consuming them through misleading them. He talks about how they consume widows' houses. Now, this is important. Everybody say widow. Because we're about to talk about a widow in Luke 21. That's why I'm setting this up. Okay? So the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. And the scribes, like the best places in the, the, the seats, um, in the festivals, the uh, honor in the marketplaces, and so they were not serving. They were just laying heavy loads on people. So he rebukes them and says, this is not how you teach, teach my, my word. And he tells them that theirs is the greater condemnations because they devour widows' houses. Okay, so where are we in Luke 21? Here's what, here's what we're entering into in Luke 21 before we go to the word. There's a listening crowd in the temple during the Passover week, which is the last week of Jesus' pre-resurrection earthly ministry. Because how many of you know that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he walked around for 40 days and 40 nights and was seen by well over 500 people, including the apostles. Do you know that? It's pretty cool, right? Yeah, it's a great testimony, okay? And so that's where we find ourselves right now. And so our first point, as we go into Luke 21, the first four verses, one through four, is giving as worship. Jesus wants us to see not just giving and that we should give, but he wants us to see giving as worship. So God sees your sacrifice as worship when no one else does. Look to your right, look to your left. They don't see it all. They only see what they see. They don't know what it costs you to give what you give. But God sees your sacrifice as worship when no one else does, and this is because he knows you like no one else does. He's the only one that knows your heart fully, the good and the bad. He knows your thoughts fully. How many of you are thankful that the person sitting next to you does not know your thoughts? <laughs> Woo! Oh my goodness. Lord, get us right before we get to heaven and there's nothing hidden. Woo! Right? Thank you, Lord. All right, so go ahead over there. All right, let's, let's read the scripture now. Verse 1, Jesus looked up 
and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow, adjective, poor widow, has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all. She put in all she had to live on. So there are four things right here at this first point in giving as worship. We see the Lord is present when we're giving. Jesus looked up and saw. He saw the rich and he saw the poor. He saw the uh, successful in society. And he also saw the widow, the uh, bottom of the totem pole, uh, socioeconomically in society. So we see the Lord. We see the temple. They came to the place that God had designated and said, this is where I promise to show up. And Jesus had cleansed the temple. Remember that? And so it is right to give at church. It is right to give where God said he commands his, his blessing when the people come together. We see the rich and we see the widow. And so we come to church to worship because the Lord Jesus, as promised, is here among his people. So we come to church for lots of different reasons. We come to church because either there's a good speaker. Sorry, it's not happening today, but sometimes there's a good speaker. We come to church because... Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. We come to church. I didn't hear that. We come to church for many different reasons, but the, the main reason that we should come to church where God's people are gathered together is because he promised to be there. Matthew 18, 20. Guys, these are holy moments. When you're gathered with the people of God, you should expect something to change. Why? How can you be in the presence of a holy God and remain the same? If he is a consuming fire and you are consumable, what should happen to you? Yeah, you should get consumed. That's right. In a good way. Right? Because when he consumes, he transforms. Right? All right. The Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, sees everyone's gift according to their heart of worship. They all gave because they all came to worship because they knew that they were God's chosen people. When you know who God is, when you know who Jesus is and his love for you and his love for the world and his power and remember all the authority that he has and he uses that authority for your good and for the good of those around you, when you come to, when you come to worship and you know your identity in Christ, giving is a natural outflow from that. So they had come to the temple to worship, and that included giving. Now, where were they at in the temple? We'll do a little um, uh, archaeological work here. So they were actually in the court of the women. The temple had multiple courts. Many of you know this. There was the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, where only the Gentiles could go. 
uh, if the Gentiles went beyond that court into the next court that was closer to the Holy of Holies, it was the court of women. Uh, if the Gentiles were to, to go in there, they, the closer they got, the more risk they had on their life being ended because they treated uh, the temple uh, uh, as holy because of God's presence. But this was in the court of the women, which was one step in from the court of the Gentiles, and this is where God's people came, all of them. All of God's people were welcome to come in to the court of the women. One of the reasons that they were welcome to come into the court of the women is because this is where there were 13 brass contribution boxes that they called, I think this is funny, that they called trumpets. <laughs> the reason they were called trumpets is because of the way they were shaped. It like, looked like a trumpet where the money goes in there. Uh, but they were called trumpets, and they were located there. Um, now, of those 13, nine of them, the majority of them, were for money gifts. And that was in place of sacrifices. Because God had said in his law, when I choose where I want to put my name, meaning Jerusalem, the temple, some of you are going to be way too far away to actually haul a tenth of all of your cattle, all of your sheep, all of your uh, first fruits, your fruits, your vegetables, so you can exchange it for money and you can give that money. So nine of those 13 boxes were to collect the money, and the other four were for free will offerings of wood, incense, temple decoration. We got any interior designers in here? Who knows God loves a good design? Anybody want to design our stage in the Greenhouse Theater for us? Come on now. Come on. That's part of your worship. That's part of your giving. Let me know. Little by little. Nobody's tripping over the lights back there anymore because we got them moved finally. Yes. It is good. Amen. And the free will offerings of burnt offerings. And so what I'm saying is that everybody's offering and everybody's worship can look different. You okay with that? Is this a multicultural church that we're in? Hallelujah, it is. You are not the norm in at least the United States. This is awesome, guys. Can we give some, some uh, lateral margin movement to let people worship like in a way that you may not feel comfortable with? Yeah? All right, let's do it, guys. The widow gave the smallest monetary denomination that was in circulation in that day. But she gave two of them. What does that signify? She not only gave the smallest thing, because that's what she had, but she gave abundantly. Right? Now, it's all over the place. Uh, a widow's mite, a copper coin, what, what, there's a lot of names for this little coin that was in circulation. And the estimates are all over the place. It may have been 1 28th of a day laborer's wages. It may have been 1 64th. But the most consensus I could come across was that all that she had to live on is equal to about $4 per coin. But the clearest thing that makes us understand what this widow was giving up was that they know it was enough at least for her to buy a bath at the public bathhouse. She could have chose 
to be clean on the outside or clean on the inside through a sacrificial offering. And she chose to focus on what was on the inside. Okay, now why do you say that, Cole? Well, let's keep going. So the question first is, when you come to give, are you bringing money or whatever your thing is, or a sacrifice? It could be one and the same, but it may not be. It could reveal your heart, but it may not. So are you bringing a gift or are you bringing a sacrifice? Right? Now, Jesus boiled down the Mosaic Law consisting of 613 commands to one. When a scribe asked, which is the greatest? Matthew 22, 37, 38 says, And he said to him, this is Jesus, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And we see that the widow gave all that she had to live on. So what the widow was really giving was what God has always been asking. She was giving her heart by obeying the first and greatest commandment, not because she gave money. She gave a sacrifice of obedience to the Lord. Do you see that? He may be asking you to give a penny. He may be asking you to give a thousand dollars. He may be asking you to just volunteer for children's ministry. I don't know. Whatever it is that it looks like for you to love God with all. Everybody say all. All All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That is what it looks like. So the question is, does God have from you what he has always said from the very beginning that he wants? Love for him with all of your heart. What are you holding back? What comes to mind that your hand is closed when it should be open? Right? What are you holding on to? This poor female widow who was relegated to the outer court, the court of the women, showed greater love for God than the chief priest in the inner court because she gave all she had to live on. Her status in the system did not matter. Jesus looked up. He saw the rich in their abundance. He saw the poor. But he saw her heart. And that's what was commended by God. Now what you're going to see here is The reason I make that comparison between the chief priests and the Levites of that day is because we're about to go into the next section of Scripture. And you're going to see what's going to happen. But a little bit more about the widow. The widow was, quote, all in. That's a term we use, right? Yeah? Anybody got any high-octane jobs or sports teams you play on? Man, you got to leave it on the playing field. You need to be all in. Don't be the weak link. She was all in, even though she may have seemed like two mites did not contribute to really anything tangible that they were trying to do there. What what kind of sacrifice could you buy with $4? She was wholehearted. Psalm 138 and verse 1, I'm not going to read it right now, but King David 
a man after God's own heart was described as being wholehearted in his devotion. And then in Numbers 14, we hear about the two good spies as opposed to the ten spies who do not believe God's goodness according to his promise and his faithfulness to go with them to take the land, to fight for them and with them with the promise. Only Joshua and Caleb. And they weren't described necessarily as, as faithful only. They were described as, as being wholeheartedly after the Lord. Like they were all in. Can I use some more descriptors? They had all their eggs in one basket. And that one basket was God's glory. As they trusted him with this promise. And so they gave their obedience to him. And then we see Jesus' commendation, not only of David, Joshua, and Caleb, but of Mary, another single woman with nothing to give but her heart and her attention. Martha and Mary. Martha was like, Jesus, what kind of sandwiches would you like? I'm going to go make some sandwiches and just bring you something. I'm going to stay busy, right? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my effort. But Mary chose what was better, another single woman that probably didn't have much to give at that moment, but she gave her heart. She was at his feet. She was listening. Now, this is what God is after, just to, to, to sum all that up. He's after your heart, not your money, and not your service. He's after your heart. These things all display what's really going on on the inside. And now, if any of you heard me talk, Two, two weeks ago, I think it was, I was preaching on Luke 19. They're like, Cole, you always talk about money. No, I do not always talk about money. <laughs> I'm talking about money as much as Jesus talks about money. Luke 19, guess what he talked about? Money. And now I have to preach on Luke 21. What did he talk about? Money. So at this church, we're going to talk about what Jesus talks about. When he talks about it, and that just happens to be what's here. So I just wanted to make that clear. We are not talking about money all the time. We're talking about your heart and worship. And so a question for, for you guys. Uh, are you supporting the church, and I mean the capital C church, or the local church, or ministries? So are you supporting them, or are you worshiping God? These could, again, these could be one and the same, but they may not be. One of my favorite uh, commentaries is an oldie. A Goldie, and it's free in the public domain as well. It's Matthew Henry's commentary. Come on now. It's good. You can all download it for free. Uh, and here's what Matthew Henry says about Luke 21, 1 through 4. He says, From the offering of this poor widow, learn that what we rightly give for the relief of the poor in the support of God's worship is given unto God. And our Savior sees with pleasure whatever we have in our hearts to give for the relief of his members or for his service. Blessed Lord, the poorest of thy servants have two mites. They have a soul and a body. Wherever you're at in here, guess what at least you got? You got a soul and a body. That's right. Even the poorest of your servants have a soul and a body. Persuade and enable us to offer both unto thee. 
How happy shall we be in thine accepting of them? You can be sure that if that's all you have here today, and you don't belong to Jesus Christ yet, before you leave here, and if you're watching online, you can say, Lord, I give it all to you, because I recognize you've given it all for me. You can give your soul, your heart, and your body, and he will accept them. This is what God is seeking. Those who will give first their soul, their heart, secondly, their body, and then everything else will follow. Some of us have been building out of order, and that's what we would call just like dead religion. You're just doing good works, but you haven't really given him your heart, nor are you obeying him. Remember, we talked about obedience being worship, right? Nor are you obeying him without you steward your body. You can think about all kinds of things here, right? Promis- promiscuity, gluttony, whatever comes to mind. I don't know what it is for you, but your heart, your body, but then everything else will follow. All your resources. And Jesus put it to the woman at the well this way in John 4, 23-25. It says, but the hour is coming. Uh-oh, here we go. And is now here. Everybody say now. And is now here when the true worshipers... Okay, I got to say this. This is, he's talking to the woman at the well, and she's a Samaritan, right? The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along because the Jews said, we are going to worship where God said to worship in Jerusalem at the temple. And the Samaritans said, no, we're going to cling to um, our heritage, which actually said, no, that's not right. We're going to worship wherever we want to. We're going to have our own places of worship here on the north side over here. And he's trying to restore her back to his heart. And so he's saying, when the true worshipers, as opposed to Jerusalem, what was about to happen over there, he says the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then the scripture goes on for Jesus to once again be clear with people. I am he. I'm the one you're talking to. This is what God wants, worship in spirit and in truth. The greatest gift that we can give to God in response to the gift of Christ for us is our spirit. He wants us to worship him in spirit and truth. And this is because, as we are about to read, everything else will pass away. But those united to Christ in spirit and truth will remain. Heaven and earth will pass away. But his word will remain. Did Jesus raise from the dead? Yes. Did he ascend to the right hand of the Father? Yes. Did he he make a promise that all those who believe in him will also be with him where he is? Yes, so when you belong to Christ Jesus, you have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and corruption, and you have been seated with him, and you will remain forever. So the thing that you can give to him that is the most valuable is what? Your spirit. The widow gave the two widow's mites, and Jesus was like, well done, I see your heart. I see 
your love when nobody else does. He very easily could have said, as we are about to read, he very easily could have said, you are not very wise because the judgment of God is about to come on the Jewish nation and their false worship, not in spirit and truth, and their corruption on the temple because they rejected Christ and the temple is about to be destroyed. Why are you giving money to support the temple, this building that I'm about to destroy? Anybody have thoughts like that? Sometimes your giving just feels in vain. Yeah? Did I hear some? Yes. I think about that all the time. I'm like, man, I'm just going to sit back. I'm just going to be super holy, and I'm going to, this is a phrase we came up with at community group, I'm going to monk it up. <laughs> monk, M-O-N-K, I'm going to monk it up. I'm going to take a vow of poverty, and I'm not going to do anything that requires anything of me if I know it's not going to last. Anybody think like that before, too? Is nobody else prone to going into extremes? Like, this year you're like, you know, spending no money. This year you're putting everything on a credit card. This year you're... Come on, guys, you know we do that. We're like trying to always figure it out. But the second point, and we're done, is Christ has come, and he is coming back. Everything will pass away, heaven and earth, but Christ is coming, and he's coming back. Christ Jesus has come to die and atone for sinful humanity. He is coming back to redeem and make new all who are waiting for him. In this hope, we can stand, because is what the scripture says, we can stand, we can raise our heads, and we can persevere until the kingdom of God comes. All right, let us read. Next verse, verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that would not be thrown down. And this is right after he commended the woman for like giving to the, to the temple, right? Mm -hmm. The days will come where there will not be one stone uh, left upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? When will anyone get torn down? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, <laughs> doesn't really answer the question, he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. That's a command. Do not. Commands come in positives and in negatives. Love the Lord. Do not <laughs> uh, go after others. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. That's another command. Do not go after them. Do not be terrified. You don't have to be terrified about what you see. Some big name banks are collapsing. There's wars happening. You don't have to be terrified. For these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Nobody in here has to be surprised on Judgment Day. Actually, if you're here right now, don't be surprised. God's holy and He's good and He's coming to make things right, and to weed out all things that cause sin in his kingdom. So what we know historically is that the temple was destroyed by the Romans in about 70 A.D. Why? Because the Jews continued to revolt. Jesus had said, give, give Caesar what is Caesar's. 
but the Jews continued to revolt. The temple got destroyed. And not only did the place of worship get destroyed, but all of Jerusalem was leveled um, about 120 A.D., some, somewhere in that time frame. It was finally leveled as the Romans crushed the revolt once and for all. And so Jesus was right. And he said, do not follow the false messiahs that try to get you to give your life for other things other than the kingdom. Let's look at his mercy now. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be, this is a promise, right? Very authoritative language. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, uh-oh, getting personal now. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. And here we go. Anybody love Jesus in here? You're going to love this then. Oh, it's on the screen, isn't it? Okay. This will be your opportunity. You can either be terrified or you can see it as an opportunity. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. I love that word bear. It reminds me of carrying a cross. So you're promised redemption as you carry your cross and bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds. This is another command. Not to meditate. Don't get stuck in your thoughts. Don't let your thoughts get on a hamster wheel of all the scary things that are happening. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a promise. I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict as you are bearing witness. As he gives you opportunity. Isn't it cool to see that all the things we see as... uh, I mean, they are. It's God's judgment coming on sinful sinful humanity, but we don't have to see it like that. We see it as an opportunity to bear witness that many may be saved. So by the Holy Spirit, you will be given what you need to witness to your generation. You were chosen for such a time as this. God did not make a mistake, make a mistake in his sovereignty, putting you in your culture, putting you in your age group, putting you in whatever demographic you may have had no control over. It is that you may have an opportunity when there's struggles coming even on your demographic that you're in to bear witness. Back to the scripture. You will be delivered up even by, sorry guys, even by parents and brothers, and relatives, and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. Ooh. You know, there's that saying, like, nobody can love you like a mama loves you. It's true. However, Jesus says that sometimes there's going to be a dividing line in the spirit when you follow Christ. And you're going to have to choose your allegiances. And some of them, some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake. 
So check this out. They will put you to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. How does that work? By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Why? He's talking about the kingdom. Your soul is going to make it into the kingdom. Not a hair of your head will perish. You're going to have eternal life. You're going to have abundant life. You're going to have joy in the kingdom forever. Jesus said, those who do the will of my father are my mother and brothers and sisters. And that's who you're going to be with forever. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you have to be connected by the Spirit. Um, this is a promise of eternal life in resurrection bodies. All to be lived with spiritual family is fulfillment of the promise that whatever we lose to follow Christ, there will be an increase of it in the kingdom. All right, I just got to read because we're, we're almost done. All right. Uh, okay. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, which is what happened in AD 70, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea, this is the mercy of God, flee to the mountains. And let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing, infants in those days, there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, remember A.D. 120 roughly, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. God's judgment and vengeance did come on, uh, on Israel as they left true worship. But in his mercy, he prophesied these things before they happened so that those who would accept it would flee and would not be a part of it. We preach the gospel so that people can flee into Christ when God's wrath comes on the earth one day. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth because the old ways are going to be done away with and so this is the opportunity today to come to Christ that you may have the wrath of God averted from your life. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Things out of people's control will happen. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Get excited, church. Now, when these things begin to take place, here we go. Anybody, any parents be like, you need to straighten up. Now, when these things take place, straighten up. Raise your head. Come on. Don't be ashamed. Raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. You have been redeemed and it's coming to fulfillment when these things come on the earth. You know it's even closer. You don't have to be like the world perplexed and worried not knowing what to do. Even with all of the crazy things going on in the environment. The roaring of the waves and the seas. Sounds like climate crisis, right? You, your redemption is drawing near, people of God. Jesus will return, and when all the trials mentioned earlier provoke you to fear, you can, in hope, 
confidence and joy. Straighten up, raise your head, and rejoice. And then he told them a quick parable when we're done. He said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. Guys, summer is coming to Chicago. Hallelujah. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So when the world is perplexed and in anxiety, your joy begins to grow immensely. Even as you grow in your old age, your body is going to fall apart if he doesn't come and take it. Guess what you can do then? You can rejoice because your redemption is near. Whether he comes and takes you or you die before he does, your joy can grow. <sighs> so also when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. The capstone, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. Since heaven and earth are passing away, believe the gospel of your salvation, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent to save you from your sins and from the wrath that is to come. And um, worship team, you can come forward. So therefore, we are to build on the living word of Christ and his written word, the Bible. And this is, this is how we are to go on until that comes. Jesus says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Some people just get tired, right? Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and just the cares of this life. Oh, i got to get all that money put in my uh, retirement account. Yes, you should do that. You should. Should you be anxious about it, though? No, you should not. And cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all. Everybody say all. all. No exception. It will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all of these things that are going to take place. And by extension, praying that you can stand before the Son of Man. And every day, every day he was teaching in the temple. Some of you are like, you and Pastor Rollin and whoever preaches up here, you guys are always preaching the same thing every day, every Sunday. Come to Jesus. Be saved. Be healed. Be ready for the return. Go get your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. Preach the gospel to them, that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we're going to continue to preach it every Sunday. Why? Because there's no exception. Everybody's got to make a choice. But you are loved, and he wants you to be with him. He wants you to be free from your sin. He wants you to be able to stand. He wants you to be able to look forward with head lifted high and hands lifted high for his return, growing in your joy and anticipation. So guys, as we go out of here today, if you are not sure, or even if you're just in that place where I am tired, I feel like I can't straighten up. I feel oppressed. 
can't look forward to that day because I'm not sure. We want to talk with you today and we want to help you know that you know that you know that you belong to Christ. And it's not wrath for you. It's going to be heaven and reward for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and you alone. For you are the creator and you are the savior. You are the sustainer. You're the redeemer. You're the lifter of our heads. God, I pray for all the weary right now. That you would begin to reveal Christ as the good king. And heaven as the place where the good king has his way all the time. And that great hope and anticipation for the coming day. And the breaking out of that as we bear witness in our generation through signs, miracles, and wonders and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you encourage them right now. And God, I pray for those here today that just are not sure if they're ready. You said unless the Father draws them, nobody can come to you. So God, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart now, Lord. Remove all fear of what they might have to give up to make you Lord of their life. Give them faith to say yes to you and your ways, Lord. No speech can make somebody do this. Only you, the living God, can change a heart. And we ask that you do it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to...